Ladies, gentlemen, mice and cats, welcome to Ramblin', an Amblin' podcast, where if the night wind starts to sing a loathsome lullaby, it helps to think we're watching movies underneath the same big sky. I am one half of your host, Andrew Godian. And I'm your other half, in tears, Joshua Glenn. <laughs> and today, we're very happy to be joined by our good friend and fellow podcaster, Barry Levitt. Welcome to Ramblin', Barry. Thank you so much. You guys have the best theme song, by the way. I just like it. It is. It gets oh, you right you. into it. It's it's mm-hmm. good stuff. I'm very happy to be here talking about this film today. We're, We're very happy to, to have, have you here. On. Oh, shucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, Barry, uh, you can catch on the Jumpcast podcast every. Uh, is it every Friday the Disney episode comes out? Yes, and indeed. Sarah? Yes, indeed. Barry and uh, Sarah Buddery are a fellow friend of the podcast. Um, at the time of the recording, I think I'm right in saying you guys are up to the Princess and the Frog, so you're a good you're a good yes. way into, we're, into we're that. We're 49 films deep. We got like 10 more to go. Ooh. We're almost the the end is in sight. It's been a almost a full year, I think, or over a year. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. It's been a yeah. lot. <laughs> and they're all and they're all we we tend to we get really into it, and some of them are really long. Although we've gotten shorter for the sake of people's ears. <laughs> What have been the kind of like biggest surprises uh, in terms of like maybe the actual films themselves or like going back into them? Because there's some that like you've recently done that I have not seen since I was a like when they first came out. I'm thinking like Chicken Little and Dinosaur (laughs) (laughs) films that feel quite weird to me. (laughs) Yeah, so those those specifically were really rough because I so I I had seen every (laughs) single one. I had seen every single one of them before recording and Sarah, there's some that Sarah hadn't seen. Um, she, she, Home on the Range was one of them. Home on the Range was the oh, big one because I woof. had I had nothing but fond memories seeing Me it when I was like twelve, thirteen. Because <laughs> I would I would have been twelve when Home on the Range came out, and I would have been thirteen when Chicken Little came out. And I saw them. Yeah. I thought I saw them all in the, in the cinemas, and I remember loving both of them. And I hadn't seen Home on the Range in a while, but I, I had seen Chicken Little not that long ago, and like I'm kind of just like aware it's bad, but I don't care. But looking at them for the podcast really was damaging for my psyche <laughs> uh, because they are they are the nadir of Disney very much. So I oh, think Home yeah, on the Range, yeah. Home on the Range especially, I still kind of love Chicken Little, even though while we were talking about it, it was slowly kind of like um, watching me like. Uh, crumble as a human being. As Sarah was like, as Sarah was pointing at everything. A lot of them have been like me ruining something for Sarah, specifically the Jungle Book. Um, but but this one, this one was really like coming back to me. But I think the biggest surprise so far um, has been how much, which actually ties quite nicely into this one, um, is how much I love the Grey Mouse Detective, uh, which mm, is yes. something I always thought was like I always thought it was like kind of a fine movie, but it really like yeah blew me away. Um, because I had it, uh, we we both are like kind of going through like a list of we made like a ranking of like all fifty nine or fifty eight at the time. Now there's fifty nine. That's how long we've been going, um, Disney films before the podcast, um, and then we've been kind of making one as we go. And and the Grey Mouse Detective has launched higher than I could have ever imagined it going. Uh, so I think that's been the, the single biggest biggest surprise. And then having my uh, very recently, because those ones were more recent, my childhood be destroyed watching those. But Dinosaur, I always knew was not good, and it is it is rough. Uh, it is pretty a though. Weird sometimes. movie. Yeah. yeah, little dinosaur. Uh, Love and Andy loved that movie. When well, I was a kid. Dinosaur so, isn't I, even. I technically... think I'm gonna leave that there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay. You don't have to like it or love it. You can because it's not even technically like it's technically Disney, but like a different studio like kind yeah. of made it. So it's not even really. 
Don't worry about it. I, I, I'd like to forget it happened. I wish, <laughs> I wish it wasn't in the... It's not in the UK, because the UK, for whatever reason, has a different list um, than the um, than the US, like, official list. They like, a couple differences. And Dinosaur is not on the, um, like, UK official, like, Disney animated films list. Yeah. Neither is neither is 2011's Winnie the Pooh, which is disgusting, because that's genuinely one of the best that films. That movie um, yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. So and nice and gentle. And they replaced it with The Wild, which was also not made by Disney, so I, I don't get it, but I don't have to, I don't have to keep ranting <laughs> about these. I've, I've done that enough on <laughs> any, any I, podcast that has me in the future. I'm going to uh, complain about The Wild being on the UK list. They'll be like, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I don't care. I didn't know there was a difference, and that really has bothered me on a, on a fundamental level, finding that out. So I'm going <laughs> to mm-hmm. struggle to get my thoughts straight for the rest of this conversation. So. <laughs> It's like how the Beatles have a different set of albums in America as in the UK. Yes, that is also, as yeah. like a diehard Beatles fan, that is also very frustrating yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday and today, where, where does that go? Do I buy that? Do I, do I import that? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't remastered in 2009. What do I do? <laughs> if it wasn't remastered in 2009, it doesn't count. It's not real. It's not canon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, but we're, we are borrowing your animation expertise for our first dive into what is Amblin's very first animated effort, as well as its first musical, which I, is a, a fun note. Um, and that is Don Bluth's An American Tale, released in 1986. But, uh, but before we get going, I'm going to ask you the question, Barry, that we're going to get into asking all of our guests when they first come on. Pressure's on. So, w- what does Amblin mean to you? What is it that it kind of epitomizes the the brand as it were um mostly et honestly i mean mm-hmm. to be fair the dude the elliot and elliot's on the logo he's, he's flying into the moon <laughs> flying into the moon flying over the moon it'd be really fun <laughs> if he flew into the moon um sequel idea um although I, when i listen to your episode that's basically there the sequel idea is, for E.T. Yeah, is wild uh and i'm glad that never happened um but yeah no definitely yeah. definitely et kind of like nostalgia um, I was looking like through the list and I noticed like basically all the ones you've covered, I have watched an embarrassingly low number of, um, with the exception of like, I guess the most obvious ones I've seen. Um, but like, I think from now on, I- I've seen quite a lot more of them, but yeah, I mean, I would say E.T. and Spielberg are kind of the two yeah. big symbols of, of when I think Amblin. Mm. And yeah. you know, see, yeah. seeing seeing as you brought up ET organically with no prompting, um, can I ask you a question? Did, did, do you cry in ET? Um, I, I don't actually, um, because I have, to be fair, Another I have, one. I don't have, I don't have feelings. Um, so it's harder for, no, I think if I were to watch it, I guess, it's, I think I've always been in like a really good emotional state whenever I watched E.T. Right, right. Um, so but... if I were to watch it like now or like at any time during this lockdown, probably yeah. I would. Um, you know, I think we've all become a little more sensitive, but no, no, I yeah. don't. Although it is like probably my favorite Spielberg film and like mm-hmm. one of my favorite films all time anyway. And I do find it very emotional. I just, I don't think I've yeah. ever actually cried. No, usually like I usually, yeah. if it's not extremely manipulative, although it kind of, it feels too genuine for me to cry. It has mm. to be really manipulative for it to get me. Like I, I cry <laughs> at a whole bunch of nonsense and I usually cry from like joy. And like that film is that, that, that scene is just too sad. Yeah. 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 Which is yeah, weird, yeah. but no, I, I I was listening to it as like Andy, I, I understand you. <laughs> well, it's, most people do it seems because I've asked the question twice in a row now, and, and it's nil for nil for Josh. So I'm gonna stop asking the question. Nil for nil. You I'm should keep asking it because I think I think eventually you will find more people agreeing with you. I'll find 
little sensitive souls. But you know, again, I'm you won the, I'm an you won the Twitter poll, so I did. You can I have did. That. That's true. <laughs> maybe maybe it's just something about the like the edited version with like the walkie talkies that just like take me out of it, and I just like I lose the ability. <laughs> maybe maybe I, I can't I, I can't unsee that. <laughs> <laughs> it's out of circulation now, but the damage is done. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget. <laughs> Oh, perfect answer. Um, so to kick us off proper with our episode on an American tale, I'm going to hand it over to Josh now to uh, let us in on the tale of Fievel and the Mouskowitz. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, we open in Shotska, Russia, in 1885. Beneath the home of the Moskowitz family lived the Mouskowitzes, a family of mice made up of Fievel, played by Philip Glasser, his sister Tanya, played by Amy Green, as they played voiced by Amy Green, his papa played by Nehemiah Persoff, and his mama played by Erika Yom. As the Moskowitzes celebrate Hanukkah, we see a group of Cossacks launch an anti-Semitic attack on the village, and, before long, the home is lost in flames. The Moskowitzes travel to Hamburg, Germany, where they board a tramp steamer headed for New York City, because, in America, there are no cats. Ever the inquisitive type, Fievel explores the ship. He misjudges the severity of an oncoming storm, though, and, despite his papa's attempts to grab a hold of him, he finds himself knocked overboard by some vindictive wave monsters, which you are apparently meant to see more of, but I guess there's more to discuss about that later on. Uh, the family arrives at Ellis Island as planned, crushed by the loss of Fievel, but determined to begin their new life. Fievel, meanwhile, floats to New York City in a bottle, and is plucked to safety by a helpful French pigeon, played by Christopher Plummer, who gives him a, <laughs> who gives him a musical pep talk about not giving up hope. <laughs> <laughs> never say never <laughs> never say never <laughs> never say never uh, emboldened by his first experience of America Plucky Fievel begins his quest to find his family on his way he's exploited by nefarious Warren T. Rat played by John, voiced by John Finnegan aided by Tony Taponi played by Pat Music uh, and Bridget uh, played by Catherine Bloor and exposed to corrupt mouse politicians and high mouse society he also finds out the hard way that his papa's vision of a catless America was not as well informed as he assumed. An American tale. Mm-hmm. That's an American tale. That's, that is. is. <laughs> I like Fievel's hat that fitted nicely. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, this is one of, the, one of these ambling movies that I like. Part of the reason we put these out on a Sunday afternoon is because a lot of these films... I remember watching for the first time as a kid on a Sunday afternoon, and this is very much one of those like key ones that I can remember. Just be, like uh, I, it was wasn't one we ever had on video or um, had a like kind of constant circulation, but it was always one that like your cousin had or just always seemed to have. So it's it's been a long, long time since I I'd watched this movie. Is it is it one that you guys had a, a childhood experience with or? I don't know if it's fresh for you at all, Josh. Or I'll I'll hop in first because my answer is going to be much shorter than Barry's. I imagine. I I don't know. I I felt like I'd seen this, but watching it for the podcast, I didn't recognise any of it really. I know the name. I know Fievel. I know the design of the character, and I know the name An American Tale. But I guess through through similar you know means as yourself, through cousins and and friends and friends of friends, I must have seen the sequels and the straight to video sequels and maybe even the TV spin off at some point because I've definitely seen bits of Fievel in motion doing his thing, but yeah, I didn't recognize any of this watching it again, so no particular you know emotional affiliation with this one um 
but Barry, I imagine there's more um, to it for you. Not not that much more. I wouldn't say like I'm a I'm a passionate. Um, I'm not in like the the Don Bluth hive. Um, although I do very much, I do very much. Uh, I love. I'm a huge fan of Don Bluth, and I think I've seen all of them. There are some shockers uh, that I think you guys have to get to, and hopefully I'll be there to laugh at them with you because um, they're wild. Um, but yeah, this one. I mean, this is. Uh, I love this movie, and it's. Um, we we did have this on VHS, so take that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I I think I I think I generally found it a bit too grim. Uh, as a child, I think I was I would lean towards um, the princesses and the 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 animal movies instead because they were generally um, I mean this is obviously an animal movie but this one is dark um, and I think I, I would personally lean when I was younger to the to the lighter ones uh, because I'm sure this scared me I mean Wizard of Oz scared the life out of me Anastasia scared the life out of me so I'm sure this did too um, but I think I've also seen um, Five Goes West, which is the second of the four American Tale movies, a lot. And I think I've seen that a lot more than this one, although this is much better. So I don't know why I would do that <laughs> to myself. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I definitely saw this when I was when I was younger and I've seen it quite a few times. It has been uh, obviously I watched it for this, but it had been quite a while uh, before that. And I actually assumed that I had watched it, but then realized that was Five Goes West. So I, I'm apparently a massive fan of Five Goes West. And I've seen that <laughs> millions of times. Uh, and this one only, only a, a small, handful, a small handful of times, but yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I, I found it hard to kind of categorize in my mind. Cause like you guys have said, there's like, there's four more sequels and there's a, there was a TV series as well. There, there are so many images that kind yeah. of come across in my head of, five of them out and i'm not entirely sure which which area they kind of land in i there were more there were some images throughout this that kind of like yep yeah, yep yeah, this is all all coming back to me a bit now and then others where i was left a little adrift yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah as if you were in a bottle in the sea but i think like as you brought up there barry one of the key points of in- interest to this in terms of like not even just amblin's timeline but in general for the whole history of like hollywood animation is the fact that it's made by don bluth who is like the filmmaker is i think it would be fair to say he's the guy responsible for some of the more beloved animated hollywood movies particularly of the 80s and 90s that didn't come from uh walt disney pictures uh with the likes of uh with secret of nim he did before this one he go on to do land before time you mentioned mentioned anastasia as well that was his big hit in the 90s titan um, ae t- <laughs> yeah, yeah titan exactly. AE. i'm a big titan, fan titan, <laughs> is, is titan ae in the in the amblin world no that's that's a, that was a fox one no, he'd move no. he'd moved away by then yeah we'll just have to um, do a blue f- spin-off podcast we can we can do that on our we can do that on our patreon yeah with, uh, with Wild Wild West <laughs> he did i think like <laughs> a troll uh, there's some wild there's like a troll in central park uh, yeah there's um there's uh, the dinosaur one like weird. we are back um there's uh there's a whole bunch of uh of madness but these ones are he he was definitely darker than disney well he started in um i guess you'll tell us about that but he he mm. started in disney before uh being frustrated and moving on to kind of do his own thing uh, which proved to be very successful at the beginning anyway. Yeah. It, his whole career is fascinating to read because he just goes off and does so many different yeah. things <laughs> yeah. at different points of his life. <laughs> he grew up, like you say, um, obsessed with Disney, kind of the cl- classic Disney animations that were coming out in the 
thirties and forties. Uh, to the point where even when when he was just eighteen years old, he was working as an assistant animator on Sleeping Beauty in nineteen fifty five, which is a hell of a gig to get when you're an eighteen year old Disney fan. I can't imagine how you <laughs> <laughs> keep it together <laughs> for what what is one of the most beautiful like Disney movies. Full stop, and that's your yeah. <laughs> first dip into the toe, <laughs> first dip of your toe into the Disney waters is mind boggling to me. Uh, and the fact that that isn't then, he just stays there until um, he goes off and starts making his own films. That wasn't the case at all. He decided to leave Disney in his early 20s and went and lived in Argentina for two years to, on a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I guess you got to get these things done in your <laughs> early 20s. <laughs> <laughs> get Everyone, everybody, yeah. make, everybody make We've all done it. Okay. We've all been to Argentina <laughs> on a mission for the... Uh, Mormon. Mormon, you said. The Mormon. <laughs> the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> and like, even then, when he first came back, he didn't go straight back into animation. He opened a theater with his brother. and But all the while, still occasionally kind of going back to Disney and doing some uh, assistant animation work. And it was in the 70s that he went back uh, full-time at Disney, working on a character animation for... 1973's Robin Hood, uh, direct the animated segments in the original Pete's Dragon movie, um, and had contributed to the likes of The Rescuers, which I think is his first dalliance into the mice world. Um, (laughs) And um, he also did uncredited rework, uh, some uncredited work on The Fox and the Hound as well towards the end of his time at Disney. I, I think it's quite interesting to note with Disney in this period, and I'm sure you could probably speak a bit to this as well, Barry. It's it's a dark it's a dark time for Disney, the seventies and the eighties. The dark ages. <laughs> yeah. I, I think about it kinda of like even both on the animation side where nothing's quite hitting in the way that the classic era did, or putting their biggest budget ever towards the uh, the Black Hole as like their big live action blockbuster for which is I don't know if either of you have seen that it's one of the bleakest like <laughs> family blockbusters. I mean, it I've sounds it. <laughs> uh, it's on my Disney yeah. Plus watch list, The Black Hole, but I'm never quite in the mood to yeah. take the plunge into said hole. <laughs> and I I know it's a little later, probably uh, like a year before. Uh, an American Tales, where I always put like something like the Black Cauldron as this kind of another film that kind of symbolizes where Disney were mm. in this troubled period before that Renaissance era comes in the in the later end of the eighties. Yeah, the uh, it is it is definitely I think it's kind of referred to as like the Bronze Age, which is quite rude considering it followed the Gold <laughs> and Silver Age. Um, so you know you know which way they're going. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a strange time because it's kind of when the people who had been animating for ever um were were retiring or passing away um, the nine old men yeah and then you have walt disney dying uh with jungle book uh just before it came out in in 67 um so at that point they've kind of trying to figure out what to do next um and that's why the 70s is pretty wild uh there's kind of a lot of experimenting in what's going on uh, especially with Robin Hood, which um, 
I personally think is is quite bad. Um, but I know has its has its <laughs> yeah. has its passionate defenders. But it it feels more like um a series of like randomly connected sketches rather than um mm-hmm. like a coherent movie. But yeah, the seventies is 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 pretty crazy for them because they're I think they're kind of kind of an unexpected changing of the guard. I think a lot of the times when there's like big shifts in a company, you kind of see them coming and plan for them. But I don't think they necessarily um planned necessarily what would happen and then you also get disney's always kind of been plagued by a lot of studio interference up until more recently when um lassiter kind of came in in 2006 when disney bought pixar um and then kind of tried to scale that back because pixar is all about um like creatives running everything um at least they were i I assume they're not now that they've been bought by disney but they were anyway i don't know um things have things are different at pixar now but generally um that's probably still the same the philosophy that like they had like the pixar they have the pixar like brain trust which is just like all the creative people are involved and Mm -hmm. the like executive folk just kind of like sit back and like let them do their thing um and disney wasn't like that disney's very like executive interference and that probably came to the biggest clash um in the black cauldron which is there was their biggest bomb and then treasure planet showed them who's boss in in 2003 and it's really which is so good and, and does not deserve that treasure. it deserves so much more like that movie. yeah it's lovely um the black cauldron less so although I, it's very it's very admirable um but i think a lot of yeah i've got a bit of time for that movie yeah <laughs> it, isn't it kind of to, to connect the black cauldron to to this um i mean this black cauldron was just a year before that um and basically the ex- new executives came on board at disney um, and we're kind of just like add this, cut this, change this, do this, without realizing that like that's not how animation works. Um, and and cutting mm-hmm. a couple minutes or adding a couple minutes takes literally months rather than like a day of of shooting. Um, and I I was reading that like Spielberg kind of had the same thing with this, and he was kind of floored. Not, I don't think he was as demanding as the execs at, at Disney because I think he was smarter than that. Um, but he was definitely like kind of floored that like they couldn't just make all these changes rather quickly and like just yeah. the, the mm-hmm. scale of animation, which now he's worked in, um, like directed himself. Um, although I guess that's a good few decades later. Was there an anime? He didn't do an animated film before Tintin that he directed, did he? No, not like so, a thing. No. Nearly did an animated Harry Potter, but that's about yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I think that was a big, big kind of shock for him, and it's it kind of shows what happens when. I think the main reason Bluth and a bunch of people left um, in mm. the uh, late 70s, early 80s was because there was just too much like committee decision making and it mm-hmm. wasn't being controlled by the artists themselves, which is why they, they founded, I think it's Bluth Sullivan Studio, um, and then went their own way. So yeah, uh, to give you a bit more detail on that, it was originally uh, Bluth, uh, producer Gary Goldman, uh, John... Pomeroy, they were the kind of main three that were called the Disney defectors by the press yeah. in uh, 79. <laughs> uh, th- those three and a band of uh, nine animators uh, left Disney to set up their own mm-hmm. independent uh, animation studio, which originally was just called Dom Bluff Productions when it first started out. Right. And the f- one of the first things they did was a short film called Banjo the Woodpile Cat, mm-hmm. which, <laughs> which led to them being... Uh, being hired to work on the animated segments of the Olivia Newton John film Xanadu yes. in, in Xanadu. 1980. Absolutely. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Fully recommend you watch Xanadu. Or it listen, is listen mad. to the listen to the ELO <laughs> Olivia Newton John song. That'll give you a taste. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but their their first feature length movie 
uh, was in 1982 with The Secret of Nim, um, which was um, a film that, unfortunately, due to its uh, kind of <laughs> subpar um, box office performance, it only made $14 million off a $7 million budget. That's um, wrong. That's that not, not, not with... that I mean, you're right, but that is ethically wrong. Yeah. That movie should have yeah. made yeah. so much more. Yeah. 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 Disgusting. <laughs> uh, that coupled with an uh, animation strike in 1982 led to Don Bluth Productions filing for bankruptcy within the <laughs> pretty much the first two, three years of them operating as an animation studio. Which, which is, a, like you say, it's a goddamn shame yeah. that The Secret of Nim wasn't a bigger hit. Because it, it has gone on to have like this ri- this life that yeah. lots people, people know now. Lots of people love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it is excellent. But it, yeah, it, again, it it's a, <laughs> following off from the, the Rescuers and then Secret of Nim and going into the American tale. Don Bluth does have a, clearly an interest in putting mice in mortal it's like like in community when dean pelton is watching a video of dalmatians and says i hope this doesn't awaken something in me and then throughout the season he gets more and more infatuated with dalmatian paraphernalia i wonder what don blue saw regarding mice to imprint this in his head well and then on top of that there's there's there were accusations for this movie of of plagiarism um from art spiegelman Mm. who did who did the graphic novel mouse um, which is, if you haven't read it, you you should because it is it's quite extraordinary. Yeah, it's um, incredible. But you know that kind of started the the cats as as Nazis thing, um, and and mice as, as Jews fleeing persecution, which is essentially what this is too. Um, and he, I think he made mm-hmm. he he made darn sure that that book would come out before mm-hmm. um, an American. I think it was originally scheduled to come out later, but he said no, this is coming out yeah. now. I'm getting ahead of this. He was smart. He split it in two, didn't he? Released the first volume yeah, ahead of for yes, that reason alone, yeah. which is which is which is a move. And I mean, they're both yeah. they're both pretty impressive works of art. I mean, in things in probably in terms yeah. of more respected, I would definitely say he won that battle. Um, yeah, Mouse. Is, I think Mouse is generally considered the the best, if not like next to Watchmen, as like the the very greatest yeah, yeah. graphic yeah. novel like ever written. Um, and I don't think many people say that about an American Tale oh, as the greatest film ever made. But I mean, it's pretty excellent. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no one until now barry and you'd, you'd have to think that that disney was very happy because they're quite vindictive and you'd have to think that they were very pleased yeah. these effectives yeah. were failing unfortunately for them at disney though that would not last that long uh because in 18 in 1986 there are two animated mice film released in the same year and this one stomped mm-hmm. the great mouse detective <laughs> uh it, it this, this cost nine million i believe uh and great mouse detective was 14 um, and Great Mouse Detective made just under fifty million, and this made over a hundred. So, who's laughing now? Yeah, yeah. Who's laughing now? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was still a bit of a rough ride for the blue the blue team before they got to an American Tale. It's such such a weird so, narrative of woe. Yeah. So 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 one company going bust. That's that's enough bad luck for a whole career, right? Surely there's no more companies he can start that go bankrupt. Surely Andrew. there's no more company ah. going bust. <laughs> So, so they re- reformed. They reformed with the name the Bluth Group in uh, 1983, um, where they uh, paired up with uh, Cinematronic, who were developing an arcade game called Dragon's Lair. And uh, the Bluth Group um, did all the animation for both the Dragon's Lair arcade game and Space Ace, um, which like, they were successful when they first came out in that kind of peak of uh, arcade. Uh, 
uh, gamers kind of going out and, and coughing up their quarters. And <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever seen any clips of these, but it, it, I really want to play yeah, it one yeah. day. Because <laughs> it offers like such a different uh, means of playing like a side-scrolling mm-hmm. ar- arcade game where you have these big animated segments uh, within them. And I, it's still... I, I, I remember reading up on this a, a, a little while ago. He's been trying to uh, get a Dragon's... Don Bluth has been trying to get a Dragon's Lair movie off the ground for a long, years, and I think it's long time. still very <laughs> much his intention to get that done. Yeah. <laughs> but um, unfortunately for Bluth Group, um, in 1984, um, production was halted on the sequel to Dragon's Lair. It was going to be called Time Warp. Oh, that sounds so <laughs> cool. Because uh, c- Cinematronics uh, were in debt due to the fact that uh, the arcade boom was starting to kind of quickly fall back in the uh, in 84 and it meant that uh, Cinematronic had to cut its losses and um, it ended up kind of uh, screwing the Bluth Group over to the sum of about $3 million which meant that the Bluth Group had to file for bankruptcy <laughs> once again. I mean, this must have been so fun for Disney. Like, they, must, they must have just been laughing this whole time. Second, two bankruptcies in the space of uh, four years of leaving uh, yeah. Disney. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was at that point, after their second bankruptcy, that the studio was saved by a businessman and broker called uh, Morris Sullivan, who, uh, along with being uh, uh, a very successful businessman, he was also just a really big animation fan and uh he he liked and particularly traditional animation uh as what um kind of bluth and his team of animators were very much into reproducing the kind of classic 40s disney style in their work so sullivan put up the money to uh make a new studio for them this time called sullivan studios and later sullivan bluth productions and um, they started setting up shop in Cal- initially in California, um, going into 1985. And uh, it was at around this point in the late 84, um, going into 85, that Bluth was first approached by Spielberg with the idea for an American tale uh, based on a story by David Kircher and also loosely inspired by Spielberg's own grandfather and his uh, experiences. And his fa- grandfather was called Fivel. Funnily enough. <laughs> so with that, uh, production began in 84. Spielberg had asked uh, Bluth to make something pretty like he did with Nim. Make it beautiful, he said in a 1985 uh, interview. Um, where he, he described his role in the production as first in the area of story inventing instance of the script. And, uh, and then moving on to looking every three weeks to a month at the storyboards that Bluth sends and making comments. And, and Bluth also in the same interview is uh, commented as saying that Stephen has not dominated the creative growth of Tale at all. There's an equal share of both of us in the picture. Um, but he was also quick to point out the fact that you brought up earlier, Barry, about the fact that this being Spielberg's fir- first animation, he just could not get on board with the idea that, t- that adding a two-minute scene would take months <laughs> of work. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so while that interview from um, the kind of time of production would suggest that things were quite were all well in the American Tale camp, um, it's quite a different story <laughs> to what was actually 
kind of going on behind the scenes as the production of an American tale was one plagued by union disputes, creative dif- disagreements and a scrambled hurry to get it across the finish line. Which is which is very which is not abnormal for animation. They usually <laughs> deadlines no. are rarely they're, they're like go go. <laughs> yeah. I mean the average the average um, creation time is like four years. You know these these things just take forever, yeah. and then they're usually not ready. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Blue had assembled a large uh, group of animators from across the world, and particularly utilizing uh, cell painters in Dublin, Ireland, and. There, there were some discussions initially around the idea of moving the whole production there, but that was something that Spielberg wasn't entirely keen on. Um, but it was something that Sullivan and Bluth would go on to do after the production of American Tale. They moved uh, the Sullivan Bluth Studios to uh, Dublin to take advantage of a scheme set up by uh, the Industrial Development of Authority in Ireland that was at that time encouraging creators to come over by offering them like grants and tax benefits and lowering operating costs to make uh dublin uh attractive uh locale for these creators to come and work and particularly for someone like um bluth who already has this long history of wanting to go out and do his own work and be a more independent animation studio that led that was a big reason why he did end up moving operations to Dublin. But uh, they were also quite keen to make that move following the experience that they had on An American Tale, which very much, um, again, as you kind of said with what Disney was even going through with something like The Black Cauldron, um, there was a lot of uh, voices coming from a lot of different execs from Amblin side or from Universal side, putting in a lot of, a lot of voices and trying to get their um, views on how the film should be going uh, across in the production of American Tale, leaving Blue feeling like it was kind of falling away from his creative control and his and, and his free and the sense of freedom that he thought he was going to have with it. They were partic- like the studios were particularly frustrated at the speeds in which the dailies were coming back. The songwriters changed late in the day, which meant that all the songs were delivered much, much later than the animators were anticipating. And that, in turn, led to scenes suddenly having to be dropped and to save time and money to, one, work in the scene, the, the songs that had been written. And also, um, they then had to either fill it with shorter scenes to help pick up points lost in the story or just kind of abandon certain elements entirely, which is, I think, why in the film you notice that Fievel has a baby sibling at the start but then (laughs) (laughs) it's nowhere to be seen for the rest of the movie i didn't didn't actually clock that until reading about it after the fact i thought oh yeah no what happened to the little baby there's also like a number of instances where his hat is gone for a very long time and will just like magically appear in his hand later oh my god yeah oh yeah yeah where'd his hat go i I did mention up at the top he's he's given as a hanukkah gift he's given this this uh, i think third generation in his family hat that belonged to his dad dad's granddad or something like that and every time in the film that he doesn't pick it up when he moves along my heart skipped a beat because i was so worried yeah that he'd lose this hat. I was so worried this about hat's hat. been in your family for a few generations five will get it back and then suddenly it's yeah on his side or he's been holding it or whatever yeah i thought that was just me having mm-hmm. missed him getting it but it makes sense if it's uh missing um yeah missing shots <laughs> 
And it, and if that wasn't enough, um, <laughs> the production was also plagued by a lot of arguments with uh, animators' unions at the time. Um, so so Bluth had agreed to a budget of initially about six and a half million, which did end up growing closer to nine as production went along. And uh, and this was at a time where Disney was spending about twelve million dollars on it on any movie that they were developing. So Bluth knew that it would be difficult to make a movie at this price tag but figured the opportunity to develop a project with Spielberg was something too too good to pass up particularly after you've just gone bankrupt twice I imagine so <laughs> with with the agreement of his employees he um froze salaries for a year and a half to make um to make sure that they could use the budget to, uh to the best use to put the best film together uh and unlike his studios before his studios beforehand the Sullivan Bluth Studio was a non-union one, so when many workers attempted to withdraw from the union to allow this freeze on the paychecks to go ahead, it sparked a big battle between Bluth and the and the unions that kept ro- roaring over the whole production and like just a constant kind of cloud over your shoulder as you're trying to make this <laughs> movie with a tight budget and a limited limited time scale. <laughs> So it was that was also one of the big kind of final nails in the coffin that um pushed Bluth and Sullivan to relocate to Ireland after after the production of this was done. Um which is which is something that they had started I think they were already set up in Ireland when they would go on to work on the land before time after this, also for Amblin. So uh <laughs> while that all sounds quite like a stressful experience to make an american tale um as barry did say it was a success it did outgross the disney movie also released that year um and it was also the um highest grossing non-disney produced animated feature at that time as well uh i can't think what would have usurped that maybe land before time <laughs> land before time did did do even better um they were they were yeah. they were on quite a roll um, and I'm sure Disney was getting nervous, but uh, Grey Mouse Detective, which was the same year as American Tale, kind of reignited Disney. Uh, and then eventually, very quickly, the people who directed that, their next film um, was Little Mermaid. And that's when they absolutely obliterated oh. anyone in their path yeah. who was trying to compete with them. Very <laughs> <laughs> good. Uh, we for down, solid, eh? Throughout all of the 90s, they were, they were truly un- uh, untouchable. Uh, until until Pixar <laughs> came along and, and started to threaten that. Yeah, and then dinosaur like yeah. a, like a meteor then, from the sky. And then <laughs> Disney was being beaten by Pixar, so they bought them. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm sure if um, if Sullivan Bluth continued to um, defeat Disney at the box office, they too would have been consumed. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> but, agree. But they didn't. So they didn't have to buy them. Wonder if it'll come cr- like. If he's asked Disney about his dra- Dragon's Lair movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Netflix, right? Um, is it Netflix? That yeah, that was the last thing I had heard that 
Netflix were no, I mean, that doing something with it. That was, about, sense. that was about two years I ago, it makes, I think. It, it seems to be like all the really creative people have the hardest time mm. getting their like projects to go. I mean, think of like Or- Orson yeah. Welles could basically never make a movie yeah. the way he wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much ever. I mean, yeah. after even after, after Citizen Kane, which was obviously, you know, it's been recently in the news as, as a debate over whether it's the greatest film of all time or not, and has been that discussion forever. And you think if you make the greatest film of all time, that yeah. you can do anything you want, but that doesn't even matter. So I no. mean, it's just, it just seems all the people with really great creative ideas never actually get to easily or even ever make what they want. So I hope, I hope Dragon Lair happens. Come he, on, Don. He, he's still yeah. got it. <laughs> he's still what? He's still there, isn't he? Yeah. Come on, Don. I'm holding that for you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, th- this is as we've mentioned. We've got Land Before Time coming up, and um, there is, of course, a more aggressive move in the late 80s from Amblin to go into animation with Amblimation and that does kind of again tie in more tales of creative woe with Don Bluth we won't go too heavy into that now because we'll save that for those uh those future <laughs> episodes but he just um, wants to tell stories about mice is, the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let the guy tell stories about mice it's either about mice or Bumbelina, so <laughs> humans who are the size of mice. Or horny bats. <laughs> yeah, he's he is so creative, and, and this is such a good example of just how mm. creative he can be, especially on a limited budget. Uh it's he's he's remarkable. It's it's a shame. I mean he, he made this they made this on, on barely any money for animation. You think that would be good enough to mm-hmm. be like, look, you can obviously do this cheaply. So like and you obviously make a ton of money. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Studio execs aren't are are tough. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's quite a good question to kick it off with. Like knowing this kind of like history of the trouble production, did you did you feel the weight of that at all when watching the film? Um, or as you've like think back on it now and with this context in mind, is it something that you think really hampers it at all? Or do you think it's something that the film itself manages to kind of come away unscathed with i think for me there was um there was a feel of a push and pull between some of the more because it starts off in a, on a real somber dour note mm. and it, it, there was a point when on the boat when they start singing i thought oh oh yeah this is a musical isn't it yeah it seemed really i had that you know, exact <laughs> same <moment>. I, was <laughs> so, and I was i was, I was digging the, the the vibe it established and then when they start singing even the song was, was sort of laced with this bitter irony it still it sort of took me out for a second, and I had to I had to readjust myself, and I had a similar sort of back and forth as um I got to sort of say every podcast we've got a new word or phrase that we overuse back and forth is the one this uh, this time I <laughs> back think back and forth um, <laughs> yeah and, and and that that sort of that tension I think carried on for me and and I think obviously I think towards the end the, the more cartoonish musical Disney elements do seem to take over, but I still do feel a tension between two different impulses in this film. And I wonder if that is is just the result of there being less space for them to ease into these transitions, given the the you know reduced time frame, um, the the scenes that were cut, the numbers that were cut, or if it is a result of of different voices meddling um, and, and sort of too many cooks, you know, diddling with the yeah. broth. I'm not entirely sure. I, I did. I think that's what holds me back from loving it as much as you, Barry, is that I, I never quite felt those two twin impulses fully cohere into a um i don't know a consistent tone i suppose um i think the way 
Jewish people. I am one, in case you're listening and think I'm about to talk a whole bunch of stuff about Jews. Um, I think the way that we collectively deal with a lot of trauma, because there's been a lot, um, as people is is through music and humor. So that's why I think um, kind of like randomly breaking out into into a musical number, especially one that is very much steeped in um, a kind of dramatic irony that like mm-hmm. things might not get or things are pretty horrible, but like hopefully they'll get better. Is kind yeah. of like the Jewish <laughs> yeah, theme yeah. song. Um, like this yeah. sucks, but maybe it'll improve later. Is is yeah. very much the the Jewish mantra. Never say never. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I think it it makes sense to me in that context, and this is very much a film. I mean, although it 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 has been criticized um, that it doesn't lean into that enough. Oh um, yeah, I mean whole, by like, Mr. Ebert, Siskel and Ebert were yeah, indeed. Of that, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, which I which I I think has a truth to it. I mean, it, it starts. I mean, look, if you want to get me on board with your film, open with Hanukkah. I mean, like that <laughs> that is that is that that so rarely happens that like if 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 I'm gonna see it, it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be a good time. I, I forgot that this is a Hanukkah movie, so I'm gonna watch it every year at Hanukkah now. Um, <laughs> but I yeah, I mean, it's it is the identity is very clearly established from the the get go, and I don't think you need to necessarily say like explicitly that mm. the cats are nazis um or like the cats are anti like i i think you can still get it i mean it's still it certainly translates to me i mean they live on hester street in new york which was um quite famous for for jewish people to immigrate to and the 1975 film called hester street um about that specifically um you know mm-hmm. it's it's very um indebted to that kind of thing anyway and i i think that music, it kind of reminds me, I don't know if either of you watch the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, you should, um, but there's a song um, called Remember That We Suffered, which is basically just like a way of saying that like Jewish people, like all the songs may may sound like they're nice, but really they're, you know, about how we how, have been through it, um, which that's with that with the first song uh, is um, exactly yeah, that. Yeah, so I, I really, yeah. I really, really like that song because that's kind of exactly um, the Jewish identity in a in a mouse musical number as close as, you can, <laughs> as, close, as, as close as you can tie those things to together. I think it does a really... Um, mm-hmm. exceptional job of doing that um, as a whole I think it it I don't think you can tell really that this was a this was a trouble production because I think this is a exquisite looking movie I think this movie mm-hmm. looks absolutely yeah um, yeah it's amazing fantastic um, it has some of the better blending of like CGI elements particularly the um, giant m- mechanic mouth thing that they create at the end um, Minsk the giant mouse of Minsk. The giant mouse, mouse of Minsk, of Minsk. because that, that's something that um, you know a lot of animation kind of struggled with the the blending the two to make because obviously that makes it a lot more affordable when you start to implement that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, rather than like spending, uh, hiring even more animators and spending more and more months, it takes it takes a long time still and it's still time intensive, but it is less expensive. A lot less. It takes a lot less people to do it. Um, and a lot of animated films around this time kind of struggle with making the CGI not like really stick out like a sore thumb. There's a moment um with um Fievel and Henri Le Pigeon, what a name. Um <laughs> where they're like where they're kind of on the um I don't know what they're on, but there's like water behind them and you can you can tell that they're like very much two separate things. Um but for the most part it, it, it nailed yeah. it. And I think I mean if you're gonna compare it directly to the other big mouse animated mm-hmm. film that came out in nineteen eighty six, which I also love, I, I think this is a much better looking film, which is impressive considering it costs less. Um, and it's a much, yeah. it's a very, it's very dark. And I think the moments of, of light and kind of comedic touches are, are necessary. Cause I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know who this, who would watch this. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, it, from it, like a, very, very great. Yeah. From, <laughs> and, and just from like a development slash like marketing perspective, like who is it for? Like, uh, yeah. uh, who is going to watch an 80 minute film about mice just like constantly miserable. So I think it needs those, those yeah. moments. But I, I do, I do agree. There is a, um, there is a push and pull, I think of kind of, 
trying to like that temptation to dive all the way into it and like really go for it and and, and kind of get miserable and that like desire to be a cutesy adorable mm-hmm. musical because the design of this is very similar um to the stuff that inspired bluth in the first place and that like early um yeah like snow like late 30s early 40s uh kind of like golden age like um softer um characters and, and mm-hmm. more visually appealing animals in, in this film is definitely um even the even the villain isn't like hideous um there's no like if you look at like mm-hmm. secret of nim oh where there uh, there's some yeah. like yeah terrifying uh, mangy <laughs> mangled yeah. designs yeah super intelligent I mean, race of rats to be fair, that, that, giant, that giant mouse of mint the robot is terrifying and it's mm-hmm. very scary. oh that's terrifying um, yes. and there's like there's some cockroaches in the scary moments but generally like all the characters you spend time with and that speak none of them are like offend an affront to the eyes like none of them will keep you up at night yeah maybe thinking about how sweet and lovely they are but they're not gonna they're not gonna like they're not gonna terrify you you know so it, it's a very um i think you need that i think you need that balance of that that softness and the, yeah. the more harsher um elements of the immigrant experience and mm-hmm. and yeah so no to answer that question in a really 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 <laughs> long way no i don't think it um it looks i don't think it looks rushed. there's a few moments in the animation that you can tell they just if yeah. they had more money, it probably wouldn't look it's like the odd that. Little blip, like mm-hmm. and especially like the baby just vanishing. They're really sad about Philo, but they don't give a damn about this baby who has gone from their lives like yeah. that. Do we, um, do we do we know what is meant to have happened to the baby? No, based on just, no, it's or, it's never is, there, there's, <laughs> like, is there no evidence ar- archivally that, that that would that would explain <laughs> where the baby's meant to go? I, I couldn't find anything in my travels. I couldn't find uh, like maybe, a. It's not like a Twitter campaign. Also it's not like a Twitter campaign. Like hashtag where's the baby? It's like it's like in Stranger Things. <laughs> justice for Bob. Justice for the baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you think, Andy? What What were your thoughts on uh, on that? Um, I think I lie somewhere in the middle because I think the particularly about the first forty five minutes of this or so, where is um the family still at home in Russia and then having to flee and then going across the sea and then um, Fievel getting separated from his family and then him um, finding his feet in the New York Docklands. That is like, like head and shoulders is the kind of keep like the greatest part of that film. Agreed. It's like is incredible. And then it it's in the latter half where it's kind of building upon this, Again, again, Bluth just loves um, the politics of my societies. <laughs> where it kind of it, it focuses a lot more on um, the kind of makeup of uh, how how these characters that Fiverr has been meeting are kind of working towards finding their own place and building up uh, resistance to uh, the cats that are in the city. And it's only it's only in the kind of way that the action. Um, unfolds in the final third, where it just felt like, I it felt like to me there were bridges missing, mm. um, particularly with the character of a uh, uh, tiger, where their um, their kind of friendship is very quickly done with that one duo song, and then they don't really hang out again until the, <laughs> until the very well, I mean, end. I mean, they don't I really hang out before. <laughs> it's worth noting right off the bat, like, to me, like, Tiger, I mean, they just took a letter off Tiger. Like, it's the same character. It, yeah. it is, there's, there's quite a few elements of this that are, are I mean, and, and one of Don Blue's first things when he kind of returned to Disney was was um, one of the Winnie the Pooh shorts. So I'm not at all surprised that, mm-hmm. uh, that Tiger, yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's I almost for a moment I was like, is it the same voice actor? Like it is very much the same kind of energy and there's there's yeah. quite a few characters that are, are yeah. nods to say the least. Yeah, shades yeah, of uh... to, uh, <laughs> I mean to be fair, he worked he it's not like he's just like stealing Tigger. He worked on Tigger himself, so like it's fine. <laughs> yeah. He's got a claim <laughs> he's got some to Tigger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, in terms of the animation, I, I thought for the most part throughout it, it, it was beautiful and particularly made me think of um, Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, particularly in the opening moments. So there's a, there's a couple of moments that like even still playing on my mind quite a bit. And the one for me in particular is when Fievel's first coming into the docks in New York and he's viewing um, the Statue of Liberty through a wine bottle. And I just thought it was this like really incredible image of the like the immigrants' arrival to America, and it's not quite this perfect statue. Like mm. it's not even finished uh, construction yet, and it's being seen through this fuzzy wine bottle. And I just thought that was such like a a, a beautiful image to really sum yeah. up how the film is kind of taking these um, ideas of um, that um, a lot of people have about moving to America for. Uh, a better life and for a place where, where there are no cats and what have you and that that there, there's images throughout it like that which use that um because you you almost get like a kind of fuzz over backgrounds sometimes where they where they suddenly look very painterly and they, it is often really striking there's a, there's, a, there's some other pinocchio stuff too there's a, like the smoking um and his uh bible's reaction to smoking looks like identical to Pinocchio's face when like he's yeah. covered in a smoke cloud. Uh, and there's also uh, a moment that I spotted with um, Warren T. Rat and when they yes. like, kind of walk <clears throat> off together it looks yeah. exactly I swear I swear it's the yes. exact same footage. Yes, yes, of yes, Pino- yes. Of I was Pinocchio gonna say the same and, um, thing. Yeah. Of Pinocchio yeah, yeah. and Honest John uh, walking off. So there's definitely there's definitely yeah. you're right. There's definitely a number of, of nods and, and I mean if this is a man who was clearly inspired by that era um, yeah. And um, I mean, honestly, imagine not being inspired by Pinocchio. Yeah. Oh, um, so it's extremely valid. Um, yeah, I, it's definitely a, it's definitely a good reference point. And there's a lot of Disney little things in there. But I think Pinocchio is the yeah. strongest kind of yeah. reference point. Did you notice that this is, this is a little bit of an aside, but in, in the in the sort of um, at the end, in, in the mad scramble when the building's on fire and they're trying to find Fievel, I think maybe even just before that, when they're trying to launch the secret weapon to scare the cats down the dock. Did you notice there was there was a little mouse that looked like uh, a Timothy Q mouse from Dumbo? Did you guys see so, that? I I did not. However, the um when they're having that rally or the wowie as the lovely lady says, the wowie um, the the band uh, the mouse band is dressed. Oh exactly right, like yeah, okay, Q, okay. They're wearing, that... his, they're wearing his exact outfit, so okay. I wouldn't be surprised if there is a Timothy Q mouse. So in probably this. yeah, an intentional yeah, look. yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Cool. That's good. To say. I thought I was going mad for a second. <laughs> He's there. <laughs> you gotta believe me. I swear. <laughs> I I think another thing that I slightly like I wouldn't say struggled with, but I slightly felt was a a, a little let let down by it is it as a musical more than anything else because I think aside from No Cats in America song and uh, somewhere out there. Um, nothing much leaves an impression, personally, <laughs> on a on the musical number side. But I also think James Horner's score is fantastic. That even if the, yeah, even if I don't think all the musical sequences work, I think 
Horner's score because he completely approaches it like it's a ballet yeah. and it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Um, it kind of in in terms of the songs, this I feel like this film kind of forgets. It kind of pulls a La La Land and like has a couple of songs at the beginning and then kind of just <laughs> yeah. forgets it's a musical. Yeah. Um, for like a really long time, and it's like, oh yeah, somewhere out there, and then it, it forgets again, and it's like, oh yeah, the song with the with with not Tigger. Um, and then like, are there are there? I can't remember if there's more. Is it just the the four of them? There... There's the one that uh, Omri Le Pigeon sings. Oh yeah, never say never. never. Say never. Um, yeah, so there's so there's the cat one and never say never, like pr- pretty like kind of back to back. Like those happen pretty. Um, yeah. So it's like, okay, this is here we go. This is a musical, and you then expect like, just a kidding. higher volume. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You expect more because there's like two within probably five to ten minutes, and then they're gone for like half an hour. Yeah. And this this film's not long enough. You know, it's not two and a half hours long. It's only eighty minutes. So if you have yeah. like forty minutes without music, that's most of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but then it does. It gets. <laughs> it made me laugh because when it's forgetting to do songs, it forgets to do songs because it's getting kind of so obsessed with the minutia of this little. Mousy social strata. I kind of, I kind of joke that it's like a cartoon mouse version of The Wire, but it's it it, it sort of delves into this high society (laughs) and the corrupt politicians that are stealing votes from corpses, incredibly dark protection rackets, sweatshops, child labour. There's so much. You get such a a sort of wide sense of this sandbox mouse city, Uh, (laughs) and it is that's kind of one of the one of the things that. I felt bumped up against the musical elements the most is, is that it does t- touch upon these very, very dark shades. Um, but I, I, I found it very, it's quite fascinating that this film is so bothered with all these little different facets and it's so, it's so well thought out and, uh, and, and sort of explored. Yeah, which which I, I think yeah. is kind of ultimately to the detriment of it because mm-hmm. it really just Agreed. like has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like I guess it's it kind of like from um, like getting back home. Like, episode, yeah. like Star Wars episode two, like who thought like why yeah. is there so much yeah. talk yeah. about like trade negotiations? Like why? Like okay, I'm sure that's neat. Like have a, you can have that as like a kind of background thing, but they take it like so yeah. they get so into it, and and I guess maybe that's where like you know um they felt or or Spiegelman felt that they were kind of um trying to trying to steal from from mouse um because mm-hmm. it does get really into like intricate politics kind of like for no reason <laughs> yeah. but in mouse yeah. it makes perfect sense and it's very necessary yeah. um but like it just doesn't yeah it does it definitely you're right andy when you said earlier that like, the first 45 minutes or whatever is like so great and then it kind of just and then you know what you're saying it kind of just dives into all this stuff that like ultimately has very little to do with the journey we're on which is mm-hmm. Fievel trying to find his family and it, and it really takes yeah it really veers all the way out <laughs> as far as it can go before like very rapidly i might add going right back like, oh yeah oh oops oh yeah. no yeah oh, it, it's yeah. like they it's like they were like 70 like oh no he's an orphan yeah, 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 yeah. Credits, like five minutes, they had 75 minutes of animation roughly they're like yeah. 70 minutes in like 72 minutes in and they're like oh wait Fievel is supposed to reunite with his family. That's the whole point. Let's get that in there and, and get out. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, I still, I, I feel like overall this, this film is very impactful for me and, and I really appreciate yeah. um, how heavy it gets. And I guess um, in the mindset that I'm, I'm currently in, which is kind of going through Disney chronologically as, as the podcast I'm doing, um, they're all, they, you know, Disney kind of plays with darkness, but like never really gets to this kind of level. And it's, I think it's really refreshing to see. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a lot of um, Disney films, if you like lo- look into the development, like basically the original story was super dark and they were also going to go super dark before someone interfered and basically made it the exact opposite of what they were going to initially do. 
um, which happens virtually every single Disney film. Um, so <laughs> so it, it, it feels very exciting um, to kind of see this vision fully played out and like kind of fully go in. And obviously it has a very happy ending. And mm-hmm. I mean, if anything bad happened to this family, I would be broken. So I'm glad it wasn't. Although, <laughs> yeah, although yeah, they so did maybe. technically lose a baby, which I, I didn't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't care too much though. No, so that, I, you know. that was fine. Um, <laughs> that. It is what it I is. I can't wait till Fievel goes west to find out if she's still around. <laughs> I, 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 I cannot even remember. Um, but there's, 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 have, you, have you seen all of them? No, I don't. I don't think no. I've seen the third and fourth. I, I've definitely one. seen Five Will Goes yeah. West. They no. sound they were direct to video, insane. weren't they? Yeah. yeah, they sound like like I feel like each one is like less detached from like any sort of reality. And I think the last one they're like trying to find like a monster like through like a treasured like map or something. I don't know. It it sounds like it should not be real, but how get there? Andy, that is a phenomenal question, and I would love the answer to that. Well, I, um, you know. <laughs> to, to be fair, I hinted at it in the synopsis at the start, but there there is there is an element of monsters to this film when when the, obviously it's expressionistic when the waves are attacking the the, uh, the yeah. passenger ship on the way to New York City. Uh, Fievel is um, is sort of affronted by these the sort of wave figures that are designed to look like sort of winged monsters that are launching. Mm-hmm. And apparently, when I was reading, apparently um, Spielberg insisted that more of that was cut. I think there was meant to be a longer sequence involving those to begin with. Mm. Uh, that Don Bluth wanted to sort of dig into, and Spielberg felt it was too dark, and 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 that's one of the things that he directed his attentions away from. Um, but I, yeah, I wonder what that would have been, and it's it's quite a weird little thing that's still lingering mm. in there in the film at that point. These um, yeah, these it's hard, and it's also hard to think about how for how much further it would have gone because yeah. like it works for the moment that's in it. Yeah, so yeah. I'd, yeah, maybe it just went too far. <laughs> I, I, I will say, I will say for that that scene, I don't really think it makes sense necessarily in the context of the whole movie. Although I will say, it is yeah. one of the most uh, remarkably animated mm, mm-hmm. sequences um, yeah. in existence. Like it, it is uh, a real um, uh, powerhouse of a scene. Yeah. It really does look uh, tremendous, and it's a real yeah. uh, landmark kind of 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 what hand drawn animation is really capable of. Yeah, particularly like the way that even just like the way the ship moves across the seas, and yeah. then like again looking into that, how they would like recreate um, the actual prop, like the um, what 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 the actual yeah the actual model yeah. of the ship mm-hmm. or what have you to uh, essentially rotoscope to yeah into the into the drawing. No, it does like make so this much film difference. has unbelievable effects animation um and for those listening effects animation in animation is basically anything that isn't a background or a character um rain uh water mm-hmm. any any of that kind of stuff and, and it really is some of the best uh i think that's ever been done i mean that yeah. that, that sequence in particular is, is amazing and, and it does a lot of really great stuff with with water maybe that inspired the uh, disney to make little mermaid they were like we can do water better than you <laughs> you'll see yeah, even just from like the snowflakes at the opening oh, credits yeah. as well. Oh, I was yeah. just kind of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> this film's not kidding what around. Oh, that's probably half their budget. That snowflake. Yeah, because animating elements yeah. is one of the hardest things to do, and this film ha- it has a a, a a a storm at sea at the beginning, and then it has a bloody fire at the end, which is uh, not an yeah, easy and a massive like yeah. firework yeah. explosion thing too. They really, <laughs> yeah. they really go off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which maybe because maybe because those scenes like and I gen- genuinely maybe because these scenes cost so much money that mm-hmm. they only had so much, so they're like, well, let's talk about mice politics. That's cheaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who could say? <laughs> Mouse electioneering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
that beat in particular is so dark yeah. where it's just the guy crossing, yeah, crossing yeah, yeah. on boats for deceased mice. And I was just like, what? But, <laughs> then, but then ultimately that has nothing to do nothing with Nothing at all. Anything. Nothing at all. Oh, anything. It's, it's a guy's... great scene on its own, yeah, but it, yeah. It, 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 yeah. <laughs> this guy is a sleazy, corrupt politician. It's oh, kind of aligned with the heroes and, and his position as a hero. So maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun. It's a very strange yeah. makeup. I I I personally think like on on a story level and kind of like a design level, the kind of ace in the hole for me is the fact that they make uh, Fievel so damn cute, oh, and man. I just don't want anything oh, bad man. to ever happen to him. <laughs> so he, he feels delicate. like a very every time he feels like a very authentic representation of a child as well. Yeah. Um, which is it, it's yeah. hard to um, at the risk of offending all children it's hard to <laughs> authentically portray a child because they can often come across as extremely annoying or just like very stupid <laughs> um, and, and I think he plays <laughs> with a bit of those because I mean he is a small child and he's yeah. being forced to navigate this whole new world on his own uh, huh, Disney um, but you know ultimately he, <laughs> he he really is believable hey. and, <laughs> and it's not it's not easy to um stick with a child for like a whole movie yeah um that's a that's a difficult balance to to pull off and usually you'll find protagonists you know at least like teenage age it's, it's not often you get like a a genuine childhood like main character who stays a kid the whole time yeah. um but i think they do a really good job mm-hmm. with him and, and the character work is is really really strong in this movie um i i would love to know yeah. the version that exists which probably doesn't exist where they the this whole thing is about fievel and his family's experience rather than like trying to get into this whole underworld of mice which again is it is exquisitely detailed and it's yeah. wonderful to look at uh but when it comes down to it, it it really doesn't have anything to do with anything that's happening um it's just kind of like yeah. it's just kind of like they did such a phenomenal job building this world that they wanted us to yeah, see yeah the incredible exactly. effort they put in and, and i do appreciate it but ultimately what does it have to do with anything because he just it, does forces. kind of feel like filler in a movie that's barely eighty minutes long anyway. You know, that's yeah. Just, stick with little five. <laughs> but yeah, and then, it's, and it's... then the... sorry, go ahead. No, no, go on, bro. I was I was gonna jump. I was gonna jump to um, Warren T. Rat because um, <laughs> I think I just I just think he's he's quite fascinating because he, he kind of feels to me anyway. Um, now that in the the world I've I've put myself in with with all this Disney stuff is. He feels kind of like a, a rebuttal in, in Don Bluth's way of, of getting back at Disney a little bit um, because he's a character who's very, very interested in money um, and very ruthless and, mm-hmm. and very interested in interfering, um, which is all the things that, that Don Bluth didn't like um, about Disney. Also, um, he's very much like Scrooge McDuck and he's very much like Honest John and Pinocchio. And his outfit is basically the color reverse of Scrooge McDuck. Um, and he's got a, a red coat and a, and a blue hat instead of Scrooge McDuck has like a black and red hat and a, and a blue co- uh, blue coat. But basically, I, I got very strong Scrooge McDuck vibes from <laughs> from from Mr. Um, yeah. Warren T. Um, and I think I, I don't think that was an accident because there are a lot of nods to Disney in this, which is I would I would assume pretty difficult to avoid mm-hmm. uh, because for. Since 1937, when Snow White came out, they've kind of been the only major name in in film anyway. Obviously, yeah. you know, Warner's been all over TV and stuff with, with Looney Tunes and all that. Um, but really, Disney's been the only consistent animated filmmaking studio in the world, really, that's like been consistently doing it for decades on end. And then all of a sudden, kind of towards the 70s, 80s, a lot of other people are, are starting to come in. But, I mean, 
Ghibli's one of the longer lasting ones, but most don't last that long. Um, some of them kind of have, yeah. have stints for a while, so it's kind of. And then they're all inspired by Disney. Like, it, it's kind of impossible. It's not like yeah. you know live action filmmaking when there's countless studios and, and countless different people and kind of like anyone can and do it kind of thing. When when animation, it was really just the one company doing consistent output. So it's not surprising that there's constant kind of referencing as a sort, but I do think it does a very good job standing up on its own. But the problem I have, yeah. um, I feel like I'm liking this film less now that I talk about it. It's unfortunate. <laughs> uh, but you, you guys, you guys are making it's good points. It's not our intention. It's not, it's not quite chicken little. I still really like it. Don't worry. Um, but the thing is like warranty rat has a, um, Spoilers for an American tale, but I, I guess you should watch an American tale before we talk about it in detail. Yeah, we've told listeners you. Live your life. <laughs> we I'll, told I'll you why you could watch like, it, listeners. Yeah, we. It's it's it's. You don't even have to like rent it. It's it's streamable. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, the the thing like Warranty Rat has a big reveal, right? That he's not a rat. He's a cat. Um, and it's mm-hmm. a, it's a big time Warranty reveal. Cat. But <laughs> this is like the second time you see him. So like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I was surprised, but like, you literally see him at the beginning, and he like throws Fivel into like his factory, whatever. That Fivel, by the way, like effortlessly escapes. Um, like really, like not difficult, not yeah, difficult to get <laughs> Which, like, in another like thing, he's like seen like counting money and like throwing away um Fivel, which is extremely similar to Stromboli and Pinocchio. So there you go, another yeah. nod to Pinocchio. Um, he he also kind of feels like a, an amalgamation of all the villains except Monstro because he's not a whale. Um, but he's very much like the stagecoach driver, Honest John. Like he's very much all the kind of bad guys and Pinocchio rolled up into one with a dash of uh, Scrooge McDuck. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird because you he's kind of a strange villain because he's because because this film is yeah. so concerned with like mouse politics <laughs> that like you don't really get a sense. The the villains are really the cats, right? And then you have this rat yeah. who obviously trying to see where i'm going with this becomes a cat but like the fact that you see him that time when he like kidnaps fievel and then basically the next time is when he reveals he's a cat like like for at least <laughs> at least half an hour later like he's go- he's gone for a long time I, I, yeah i also really love the beat at the end where like um fievel's t- t- tells all the other mice that he's a cat and they're like what <laughs> and then his mouse with the <laughs> just gets his slingshot and hits him <laughs> twice and that's enough to make the yeah, whole <laughs> the whole thing fall off and it's like oh no it's, and then uh... he says who you gonna believe me or your own eyes <laughs> I love that <laughs> yeah that was a good line that was a good line <laughs> yeah <laughs> and there's last little bit is that stuck on the ship heading to Hong Kong. He's like, how do you say trust me in Chinese? Yeah, I love, I love <laughs> and then, and then, Yeah, and then there's a bit more interaction with... In fact, you know what? One thing I... It's kind of like my um, my Babu Frick in this movie is the little the little grasshopper fella who, who lives with... Digit. The cockroach, oh, the cockroach fella, guy. yeah. Who's got a real Looney Tunes, Porky Pig meets Marvin the Martian kind of voice thing going on. He was fun. I enjoyed his tics. That was, yeah. that was that was a good time. <laughs> Nothing much deeper than that to offer. I just quite enjoyed the what? sounds he made. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder who came up with the name first because in Great Mouse Detective, the bat's name is Fidget, and I just wonder mm. like who who did this? Who mm. who who came? Up? I wonder if they found it out and like let's screw with them and make it rhyme. Like it, it is like the vil- yeah. the villain the villain henchmen in both of these in both yeah. of these mice movies released in 1986. Their names rhyme. It's 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 too weird. <laughs> Warranty. What was it? Was it? Is it Ratigan in? Uh, yes. 
Grandmaster Detective. Who is who is an elite Disney villain and, oh, a, yeah, and, a, and, a, and an elite villain in the history of film, <laughs> and I will hear no otherwise. Um, you you'll get no nice thing from from this. Side. No, and and he's effective because you spend time with mm-hmm. him. But like yeah. this film doesn't this. I mean, this film obviously the, the 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 villains are cats, but you don't find out that this dude is a cat until the very end. So it kind of <laughs> feel like it kind of dulls the, the it dulls the impact a little you're, because you're already like all the cats are really bad, but you already know this yeah. rat is bad. So when he becomes a cat, it's not like a I mean, it's surprising because you don't necessarily see it coming, but it's not like, uh, you know, you're not like floored by it because you're like, well, yeah, we know they're bad. <laughs> it, it, it is a film that I think that just generally does slightly struggle a little bit with uh, the incident that it fills in. Because I've just got a part of my notes here of when uh, Bible's going around uh, New York for the first time and just listing all the perils. He yeah, kind of yeah. Faces. I, I've gone <laughs> train, horse, <laughs> tram. Record players. <laughs> I love the record player bit. That's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then it is he just keeps falling into this, this underworld and like inadvertently helping this kind of mouse revolution before yeah. suddenly, before we can actually get um, before we can get them reuniting as a family, um, it feels like it has to put him through just a couple more beats. Of emotional abuse, where he thinks his his family's given up on them, and he literally ends up on a place called Orphan, Orphan Alley. Orphan Alley. A, a they could Orphan not Alley. help themselves. They are like, what, wasn't this miserable enough already that yeah, you need to literally yeah. move him to Orphan Alley, where like the other orphans are very mean and extremely cruel to yeah, him, and like force him like, to sleep on like a few yeah. strands of straw in like in like the open cold it's yeah it's rough also this movie really likes to um bully and it like constantly shows the like a fival and his family like right next to each other but like you know their Yo, cross, their paths just aren't crossing me. Yeah. I, yeah i was like screaming like, please yeah. come on please just unite <laughs> just the look thing is, down the, thing is, the, thing is, the climax <laughs> is there you've got five trapped in the burning building you have, have tiger the cat come yeah. out they run away the from it you know, and and then that proves to the family that Fivel is able to make it in the new world and sort of bridge these gaps, and also it brings them together in a satisfying way. But then they have him they'd be flushed down the the drain pipe and end up in orphan alley, and all that happens in within about five minutes. And yeah. then it was very them being like, "Oh yeah, we forgot we had to do this. Let's, have let's, an extra let's make it <laughs> I just don't get what's added by having him flushed let's, away. Let's creep it up to eighty minutes, um, guys. You, well, I guess what is added is that like beautiful like gold. Mm. Um, shine, but I feel like you could just get that with flames, yeah. no? Yeah. Like, I mean, I feel like you could still have yeah. that beautiful, like, sunlight bathed moment. You could just make it a little. I don't, I, I, I don't I, know. I, I'm have... not coming on these podcasts anymore because I'm starting to. You're starting <laughs> no, to ruin no, these films no, for me. No, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> let's, let's, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. I, I cried twice in this film, obviously. The first time was when he sings Somewhere Out There because, I mean, what are you made of? Stone? You're not going to cry sweet. when a little yeah, cute it... boy sings Somewhere Out There, my, you know whatever but the second time was the uh, the bit at the end or finale as much as we might laugh and joke about it that bit when you have the five papa five papa <laughs> that, man, that got me that did they did yeah i felt that and uh, it, i welled up and it was a, i think i was a my sweet boy just I know. called for his papa <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was such a nicely done moment so you know as much as it it was an, an unnecessary hackneyed extra beat it, it was emotionally effective eventually uh, but absolutely yeah. yeah um yeah i mean you know what i think we sound like we dislike this film more than we do we all we all like it i mean 
Yeah, it, it's just a lot weirder it's, than I ever remembered it being. Yeah, just, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah I, I think with with the films that like feel like they could be even better are the ones that I think mm-hmm. you kind of pick apart more because it's yeah. just... And we, we've gone through a lot of this on, on our thing, and it's like, you know, you see these films that are like, this could be a masterpiece, but they just had to do this and this. Yeah, they, yeah. How dare they? And now it's just fine. <laughs> I, think, I, I still think this is, an, this is a really excellent film, um, and I think it... it yeah. It gets the message across strongly enough without being ham-fisted about it. Um, and I think it's a really touching story that, I mean, there aren't many animated films that talk about the immigrant experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially with, with with such detail and, and passion and, and love that this movie does. Um, and I think there are great songs. I think there's two. I think there's the the um there are no there's no Cats in America song and then obviously Somewhere Out There, which is yeah. so beautifully animated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a really beautiful yeah, sequence. And a real gem. Yeah, absolutely. And it has those moments. It has enough moments that this is a really worthwhile film. And any fan of animation as a medium, if you haven't seen this, you absolutely should. Because it looks... It's yeah. it's magnificent, especially when I... um I didn't look up the budget beforehand, but I assumed that it had like a budget of like double, honestly, Great Mass Detective. Mm-hmm. And it had a, a smaller budget than Great Mass Detective. I was really surprised. Yeah. Um, because Great Mass Detective looks great. Um, but it's kind of deliberately like, you know, it it was made as a, as a way because they just spent all this money on Black Cauldron and it made nothing. And in fact, it lost them a ton of money that they needed to make something that was half the price, like less than half the price of that and hopefully still make money. So it was made to be cheap. Um, and this, this just feels, this feels expensive. This movie looks expensive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This does not it, look like yeah, it was it made. It feels like a blockbuster Yeah, animation. this does not look like it was made with budget restrictions. Um, it's it's really impressive. Um, and it's got it's got great characters. And, and some of them are, unfortunately, completely undeveloped, like Warren T. Rat and or Warren T. Cat. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Fievel is really, really well done when it comes yeah. down to it. Yeah. I, I, I think he's a really perfect character. for, And it ma- makes a lot of sense that he ends up being the kind of uh, mascot eventually for when Amblin does go further down an animation. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised they, they gave him four I, films. Yeah, <laughs> even if he is monster hunting. Yeah, by the end I, of I, it. I, I, I have. I haven't. I don't think. I. You know, I would put money on the fact that I have seen them all when I was a kid, but I. I do not remember three and four at all. Um, but then if you want yeah. to talk about, I mean, the mystery of the night, there's monster. like 72, um, <laughs> millennium before time movies and I believe they're still making them. Um, uh, so <laughs> that is, that's, yeah. I mean, when you guys get there, that'll be wild because there's like, there's yeah. so <laughs> many, I don't think there's land before time. Yeah. Ah, unless you like, I think that's a really lovely yeah. point to kind of round up. The discussion on that, unless there's any other um, big points that you guys wanted well, to cover about the film, I think it's a very nice, nice point. point. There was only one question that I had. I mean, based on this and the secret of Neem, yes. what is Don Bluth's beef with cats? I'm guessing he's a do- I'm guessing he he's a dog like guy. Cats, he, he? He, maybe it's as simple as he is <laughs> yeah. because the, the all dogs go to heaven uh, after all. <laughs> it was one of his next all movie. All dogs go like, to heaven. All cats and asses. That's his ethos, apparently. There's um he, he wasn't involved, but there's a film called Cats Don't Dance. I wonder if he like tried to lead a boycott against it. Like this cat, this film is way too cat positive. Um, he was probably disgusted when Oliver and Company came. He was probably so happy that Land Before Time made more than that movie about that nasty, gross cat. 
gross. I mean, I love cats. I, I grew up with cats, so I, I, I am in jest, obviously. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, he, he does not. He's not like a fan cats. of cats. He's not a no. fan of cats at all. No. And he, yeah. and, and in fact, um, Balto is also, you know, uh, his studio, and that's also about a dog. He li- he likes dogs, and he He's loves mice. Dog. He's a dog. Likes man. dogs. I feel like it's mice, dogs, and then oh, you can't even ra- <laughs> you can't even rank cats because cats are so far. But cats are like below. Cats are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fairly indifferent towards rats. It depends if they're, uh, it depends if they're masquerading as a cat or not, <laughs> or if they're yeah. super intelligent and power hungry or not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm spent. I was good. I enjoyed that. We've had some messages in from listeners and former guests of the podcast uh, for this episode today. Um, the guests of our previous episode on the Money Pit, Griff of the Paul and Griff Show commented on Twitter to say that he watched American Tale loads as a kid. It was quite scary looking back at it. Not seen it in over a decade, but can still remember great songs like No Cats in America and Somewhere Out There. Quite big for an animation movie from that decade that wasn't Disney to be that good. Which I Mm. think very much echoes a lot of the stuff we've said in this this here episode. Particularly about how it managed to smash the Disney side competition of a uh, basil the great mouse yeah. detective take that basil and ratigan <laughs> um also no griff celebrated his birthday last week some from both of us here at Am- rambling ambling griff uh we wish you a very happy birthday we hope you had a great day and thanks once again for joining us last time out for the money pit we had a great time it was a blast we hope you have many tom hanks style laughs, <laughs>, <laughs>, <laughs> <laughs> oh that's uh, painful to do we also got a message from harley the guest for our back to the future episode uh, and he says great last episode guys referring of course to griff's episode of the money pit very excited to hear the american tale episode five goes west is also a childhood favorite of mine uh, and then the most important addendum to this message is uh, also the bonus wild wild west episode will be fun sorry andy <laughs> no apologies necessary there harley you are obviously correct <laughs> I might take it upon myself now to state that if we do ever get a patron going, then um, I will commit to doing a Wild Wild West <laughs> episode. Hell <laughs> yeah. clearly the people are calling for it. <laughs> person. The person is calling for it. <laughs> we get two more, then it's a trend. <laughs> uh, but thank you for sending those messages in, boys. Uh, we very much appreciate it, and we love hearing from you old listeners out there. Yeah, yeah. The mailbag is always open for any comments, suggestions, uh, or, you know, ramblings of your own. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Um, so that brings us to the end of uh, 1986. After we were stuck in 1985 for a Ooh. while, we've only had to stop off in 1986. We will be entering 1987 in our next episode on the... Family Bigfoot comedy <laughs> Harry and oh, the Hendersons. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> I wish that genre was more expansive than, than it actually is. <laughs> Bigfoot family comedy. <laughs> oh man! Uh, yeah. I can't wait to see this again because it's one again. I have a foggy memory of it as childhood, and I can't, I don't know how much of it is me remembering the TV show. That's exactly the same I for just me. Yeah. It. Yeah, I just remember it's very weird, so I'm looking forward to watching that. And if you do want to watch it with us and don't have Harry and the Hendersons on disc, 
Um, you can rent or buy the film digitally from Amazon, Apple TV, Chile, Google Play, Sky Store, and YouTube. Or you can also just purchase it digitally from Microsoft Store. Uh, if you've got any thoughts that you want to share with us beforehand, uh, please do tweet us at ramblinamblin or email us at ramblinaboutamblin at gmail.co.uk. I realise that I forgot to read the full email address out last episode, so that email address again uh, okay. is ramblinabout... <laughs> I forgot the at, and I'm sure the listeners could have pieced that together. You, I forgot, you know, I just admit it, Josh, you don't middle. want them to talk to you. You don't want any communication. Stay away! <laughs> Take your opinions and, and shove them up your... No, do share them with us. We do want to hear them. Ramblinaboutamblin at gmail.co.uk. And of course, we are very grateful for any listeners that we do have. Um, we're saying that very much in jest. We love you. <laughs> I, they just wanted me to come on and stir the pot. That's all I'm here for. <laughs> love you more than Don Bluth loves cats. <laughs> oh God, cats. We're going to get to cats oh. eventually, aren't we? Eventually, oh, years away. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I don't Wonder think anyone Dumbledore hates cats more cats. than. Um, Tom. Yeah, do you reckon Tom Bluth seen cats? I wonder what his, I wonder what his thoughts are on McCavity. I hope so. I hope so. Because <laughs> McCavity broke every single law, both cat and human. So I bet Don Bluth's got even more reason to hate him. You know, I bet I bet Don Bluth's favorite movie is Cats because it finally shows cats <laughs> like the most disgusting, <laughs> unlikable things on earth. Yeah, he's and like. He they finally done it. He was like, I thought my movie made them look bad, but this, yeah. this really does it. You think that's what he sees when he looks at any cat on the street? He oh, sees the boys, cats. Oh. oh, oh, dear me. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Barry. It's been an absolute delight discussing an American tale with you, and I'm sure we'll we'll have you back in the near future for another Amblin gem down the line. I would, I would love to. I, I'm happy to be your, be your Bluth guide or, or talk about whatever, you, whatever you want. <laughs> uh, where can the good people find you on the old uh, social networks? Should they be so inclined? Oh, that's a great question. Um, where can they find me? Um, I, I tweet like once a month. Uh, you can find me at uh, B Levitt. That's L E V I T T ninety three. Um, and I'm the only thing I'm like consistently active on is Letterbox. You can see what movies I watch at uh, B Levitt. Yeah. Awesome. And make sure you catch up with the Jumpcast Disney. Oh, yeah, I have a podcast. You can listen to that. Um, Yeah, it's part of, um, it's it's Sarah, Sarah Butter and I do a um, weekly, very deep dive into every um, Disney animated classic, um, starting with Snow White, ending eventually with Ray and the Dragon. Um, And we do new episodes every Friday, and they're all on, um, I I guess if you just search Jumpcast on, Mm -hmm. on Spotify or wherever you find podcasts, you'll find all of them there are there are yeah. many so you know pick whatever film you like and, and have a good time yeah and so well I, maybe we'll ruin it for you or maybe we'll make it better <laughs> <laughs> you've enriched oh, chicken please. little for me so, so. <laughs> <laughs> some, some look someone out there has to be out there fighting the good fight and being a positive voice for chicken little Somewhere <laughs> there's me shouting about chicken little <laughs> beneath the falling sky <laughs> oh. well thank you very much again barry thank you josh as always thank it's you always for having me record thank these you with both. you and barry it's just lovely to see you again yeah. It is. It's, it's, this is this is look long time podcaster, first time guest. This is very exciting. <laughs> we can all meet in the real world soon. 
I yeah. look very much forward to it. Back in the cinema suit. <laughs> oh, buddy. Maybe, maybe we can watch something about cats for Don Bluth. Do it yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Last but not least, a big thank you to all of you for listening once again. Uh, We hope you have enjoyed yourselves, and we look forward to welcome you back next time for our episode on Harry and the Hendersons. Until then, we hope you all take care, and happy watching. Somewhere